Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Welcome to the Least of These Podcasts. We reach out to those the world has forgotten. If you'd like to know more about us and how you can donate to help us fulfill our mission, go to hisloveministries.net. Thank you very much and God bless you. We're going to be back in Romans chapter 8 this week and we're going to finish up what we started last week. I guess we're not going to get too far. We're going to get back into verse 15, 16, and 17. But remember the book of Romans is really summed up in chapter 1 and he talks about that and he talks about verse 16 that the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes and then he says that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. In other words, it's just by sheer faith that the gospel reveals God's righteousness because the Bible says we cannot be saved by works. It's by grace we're saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So if we could do something to get into heaven, we'd all be up in heaven and say, well, I did this and I did that. And it'd be just like earth, right? (laughs) We'd all be up there bragging. And so Jesus, as the old song says, paid it all. And we owe to him everything because he paid it all. So the first three chapters really talk about the fact that none of us is righteous, no, not one talks about the man in the jungle. He talks about the moral man. He talks about the religious man. He talks about the hypocrite, the one that says he's better than other people, yet he's doing the same thing or just as bad. When he gets to chapter 4, he tells us how Abraham was saved by faith, and he was the greatest man that the Jews looked up to, and then also the other great man they looked to was David. He shows even though David was a good man, a he was also a man who did a lot of wrong, and so we show, he shows how he was saved by faith also. Chapter 5 talks about that we're no longer enemies of God, but we're, have been, we have peace with God and how Christ gave us so much more than what Adam lost when, when they sinned in the garden. Chapter 6 talks about how we are been died with Christ, been raised to walk in newness of life and to live the Christian life. And then Paul tells us the impossibility in chapter 7 of living the, crash, the Christian life on our own. He said, the things I want to do, I can't do. And the things I, I, I don't want to do, those I do. How sh- who shall deliver me from this body of death? And he begins to tell us in chapter 8 how that can be accomplished through the power of the Holy Spirit. That he's mentioned the Holy Spirit one time in seven chapters but now he's going to mention the Holy Spirit 18 times in this chapter 8. And the Holy Spirit is what we were just singing about that he says, you ask me how I know he lives because I know he lives within my heart. He lives within me. And that's what Romans 8 and 9 says. If anybody does not have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to God. That the Spirit of Christ, the moment you believe, he comes in and lives inside of you and he makes you a new creation. The old things are passed away. All things have become new. And now we have the ability, the power to want to and desire to live the Christian life. And he says in chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And those that are in Christ Jesus are those who have asked God to forgive them and save them. And he uses that term 160 times. And so he tells us that what the law couldn't do, we could be saved on our own. 
that God had to send Jesus to die in our place and die for our sins because of the weakness of the flesh. And he says that those that are in the flesh, those that don't know Christ, cannot please God. And we went on and talked about that one day God's going to raise us from the dead because he lives in us. And then he says in verse 12, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, because if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you will put to death the deeds of the body, and you will live. And for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And that's where we kind of been talking about that we're children of God. We've been called sons of God, right? We're no longer enemies, but we're friends of God. Remember, Abraham was called the friend of God. Why? Because he trusted Christ and Christ to come. And then he says that you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. What is that talking about? We talked about that last week, that, that people that don't know the Lord, most people, if they got a little lick of sense, that they're afraid to die. Hebrews 2.15 says that people through all their life have been in bondage of fear of death. And the reason we're afraid to die is because we don't know what's on the other side. But he says he didn't give us the spirit of fear, those that know Christ. We don't have to be afraid of what's on the other side, right? Paul said to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, if we know Christ, that it's good to be here because we're serving the Lord. But he says, if I die, it's better because he go, we go straight to be with the Lord. He says, we receive the spirit of adoption. And what he's talking about here is not really the transaction of being adopted, but really the fact that, that he gives us the ability to know that we belong to God, right? Whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. And we said that word, Abba, means Papa, Daddy. So really what he's doing is saying, Daddy, Father. Or Father, Father, Papa, Father. And remember that's what Jesus cried out on the cross. When we're children of God, we know that no matter who lets us down, no matter who doesn't have anything to do with us or who dislikes us, that it doesn't matter because God loves us. And that's the great thing, that God so loved the world. He says, we cry out, Daddy, Father. We talked about this, but we'll talk a little bit about it again and kind of get back into it, kind of refresh us. In a Roman culture, remember when Paul wrote the Bible, when he wrote his parts of the Bible, when guys wrote the Bible, even when Jesus was here on earth, what did he do? He used earthly examples, earthly parables, and all these things to demonstrate heavenly truths, right? And so what did he do? Uh, he talks about adoption. And when he talks about adoption, you would look back and you would look in the Roman culture and you would see how they did it. And this was totally different. I don't know if I told y'all last week, but the Roman father, he had the ability, the absolute authority to do anything he wanted to do with his family. He could kill his kids if he wanted to. He could kill his wife. He could divorce them. He could do anything he wanted to. But if he adopted a child, he could not do anything to that child. That child had so many rights, so many privileges. And when a Roman father maybe looked over his children and he couldn't find somebody in his family that he thought was worthy of his inheritance, worthy of, 
uh, taking over everything that was left when he died, he would go find somebody that he thought was worthy and he would adopt that child. In Roman culture, an adopted kid wasn't somebody, somebody that didn't have anybody to love them and didn't have anybody, some child picked up off the street, but he was one that was carefully chosen and picked to bear the name and the title of the father. The first thing that happened was the adopted person lost all relationship to his old family. If they had another family they knew of, everything was gone and he gained the rights of the new family. That's the way salvation is, right? We are, the Bible says, before we know Christ, we're children of the devil and we're uh, children of the flesh. But once we trust Christ, we get all the rights and the privileges of the new family. The second thing is he became heir to the new father's estate. And even if the other children were blood born, it did not affect his rights. And if the father so chose, he could even put the adopted child above the other kids and say that you get it all or most of it or whatever. The third thing that happened was that the former life of the adopted person was completely wiped out. All the legal debts were canceled. All the things that went on before that were totally canceled. And the adopted person was given a new name and it was as if he had just been born, right? Isn't that what the Bible says? You must be born again and we're reborn. We're given, the Bible tells us that God gives us a new name. There's a new name written down in glory as the old song says. It's not written down when we get saved, but it was written down before the foundation of the earth. And the Bible says in Revelation that he'll give us a white stone and on that stone is a name which nobody knows but God and us. And then when we came into the family of Christ, he wiped out all of our debts. He made us a child. We became co-heir. And then fourthly, in the eyes of the law, the adopted person was literally and absolutely the son of the father. And so that's what we are. We have cut the cord with the past. We have become children of God. All the debts are wiped out. And legally and forever, we are the son of God. And nothing can change that. So one of the things that happened when they did that too, and I'll talk about this now, was that they had to have seven witnesses. The Bible talks about the sevenfold spirit of God also. So adoption gives us the name of sons and it gives us the title to the inheritance. But when we get saved, that gives us the nature and the fitness for that inheritance. In other words, when we get saved, we become more like God, but he adopts us and he gives us his title and his name. And he says here that the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And that's something that's great. When we cry, Abba, Father, when we cry out, oh, God, help me, you know, oh, God, be with me, Daddy, Father, we, he says, cry out, our Father, which is in heaven, right? And so he tells us to call him Father. And at that point, when you're truly saved, there's an assurance that you know, that you know, that you know, that if you died, you'd go to heaven. And we should all have that assurance that we're going to heaven. Because 1 John 5.13 says the whole book of John was really written that we might know that we have eternal life. He says, these things have I written that you may know 
that you have eternal life. Not that you might hope so. I talk to people sometimes and say, you go into heaven. They say, well, I hope so. I think so. I believe so. But the Bible says you can know so. Because John 3.16 says, whoever believes in him has eternal life. Not will have. Do you know right now I have eternal life? And if you're a Christian, you've got eternal life too. That means that right now I'm getting a taste of what heaven's going to be like here on earth. But one day I'm going to get it all. And if you're a Christian, you'll get the same thing. He says we didn't become Christians to be put again in a spirit of fear. That 2 Timothy 1.7 talks about that. He hadn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and might and a sound mind. 1 John 4.18 says there's no fear in love, but perfect love cast out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. In other words, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to worry. We talked about this last week, that the worst that can happen to us on earth is the worst it will ever be. But once we pass out of this world, it's going to be better than we can ever imagine. But for those that don't know Christ, this is as good as it ever gets. That, that the people that are out there doing whatever they want to do, then they may as well eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow they're going to die and they're going to be in hell, and that's forever. That's scary to think that forever. And so we cry out, Abba, Father. And, you know, that's what the Jews call their daddy. They say, Abba, Abba. And this would be very shocking to the average Jew to say that we could call God our Father. I don't know if you realize that when the Jews write down the name of God, they even when they wrote the scriptures, they would write G, and then they write an underscore, and then they put a D. They won't actually write the name God. And the, when they were writing it in the Bible, when they were writing the Bible, what they would do is they would write the name of God, and then they would throw away the pen, They'd go get cleansed and washed up and so-called spiritually right with God again. And then they'd write again. And if they wrote the name God again, they'd do the same thing every time. That was a long process. Like I said, it's the Spirit of God working in our hearts that lets us rush into the presence of God, know that He loves us. And we don't have to worry about it. talks about in Hebrews 4.16, it says, Let us come boldly before the throne of grace that we might find mercy and help in the time of need. So the spirit of the witness of the spirit is practical. It's something that causes us to have guilt over sin. When we sin, we feel bad about it. People that aren't saved, they don't really feel bad about sin because they live for the world and they don't really care what's going on. It causes us to desire to be like Christ to be with the family of God, to be in church, to have a hunger for God's word, to have a sense to tell others about Christ too, and a sense to do sacrificial giving. Those are some of the things that provide evidence of a true salvation. And so the Spirit bears witness that we are children of God. Some people believe that being going to heaven and true assurance comes from being in a member of a true church or or perfect love or perfect living. But the Bible says that assurance is not meant to soften God's call to holiness because he says, be holy as I am holy, be perfect as I am perfect. 
But what it does is it, it's based on the character of the triune God and based on the Father's love and mercy because God loves us and he's merciful because the Son finished his substitutionary sacrificial death, right? He paid for all our sins. And then lastly, the Spirit swooing to Christ and informing Christ in as he makes us more like him, in other words. Sometimes people overemphasize the fact that they say they're once saved, always saved. In other words, they believe that they've been saved and they can live any way they want to. But the Bible says if you're saved, you will not live any way you want to that God puts a new want to in your heart. And you want to please God. You want to do what's right. And the whole book of 1 John is really a test to see whether you're truly saved. Do you love the brethren? Do you obey God? Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I say do? He said, many in that day are going to say, Lord, Lord. But he said he's going to say from them, depart from me, I never knew you. The evidence of salvation is a changed view of the world, a changed heart, a lifestyle, and a hope that we know that we know that we know one day we're going to heaven. It's a changed and changing life. In other words, salvation is not just one day saying a prayer, but salvation is knowing that one day that you trusted Christ and every day after that you live for him. That's the evidence of true salvation. So we're led by the Spirit, we're freed by the Spirit, and then the Spirit tells us that we belong to him. Because he says that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. So that's great to know that, that we belong to God. And like I said about those seven witnesses, that the, the good thing about being a Christian is the Bible, God gives us an assurance. But sometimes as Christians, we follow God, but we don't follow him like we ought to. We don't follow like we ought to and we maybe have sinned and have not confessed that and we're not doing everything we're supposed to. Sometimes we feel like we don't belong to God, right? Or sometimes somebody looks at us and say, I've seen the way you live and I know you, you don't do all these things. And, you know, the world looks at us and they, they just say, I guess the world is like looking at Christians I remember the old bumper sticker said, Christians are not perfect, they're just forgiven. And that's really true, we're not perfect, but we are forgiven, but that doesn't mean we live any way we want to. But it does mean that we will never be perfect this side of heaven. If the great apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Philippians, and he'd been saved 30 years at that time, and he says, I have not arrived, I have not made it, I have not attained, I'm not already perfected, but I, but I give it everything I got, I'm, I'm, I'm giving it everything I got, and, and, and I'm pressing on towards the goal, towards the prize, to be like Christ. Then if Paul hadn't done it, I know the rest of us are not going to make it in this lifetime. You know, sometimes people will say, you don't have a right to go to heaven because I work with you, or I've seen your testimony, or I live down the hall from you, or whatever. You're not a Christian. You've blown it. But then, and sometimes we say, boy, I failed so much. I've messed up so much. But you know what? That's when the Spirit of God will come in and speak to our hearts and say, yes, you do belong to me. 
You know, sometimes we feel like that we just can't belong to God because we fail so much. But God says, yes, you do when you truly belong to him. And like I said about that sevenfold spirit that Isaiah calls the Holy Spirit, the sevenfold spirit. But he said that there had to be seven witnesses. And it's kind of interesting how the Bible is always written to parallel the things that go on in society. And God always uses human examples to show us those heavenly truths. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, As his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given us exceedingly great precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's through the world. In other words, it tells us we've been saved, we've been transformed, and that we have everything we need to live the Christian life. But yet we don't always do that. But he tells them in the rest of the verses, he says, in your life, add faith to your faith, virtue and to your virtue, knowledge and knowledge, self-control and self-control, patience and patience to godliness and then brotherly kindness and then love. And he says, when you add all these things and you walk in the spirit and you follow his leading, he says, you will make your salvation sure, not that you've done it and you've earned it. But what it does is it shows us that we're truly saved because we have been changed. That we look at our life and we go, God has changed me. You know, I told my wife one time, I said, you know, if I wasn't a Christian, I would have done this, this, this. And, you know, sometimes I just, I get so mad. And she says, but yeah, Marty, but you're not that person anymore. You're not what you used to be. And I said, yeah, I know. I said, I'm not that, but sometimes you just get so aggravated with people because they, if you weren't a Christian, you, you know what you'd go do, right, if you, before you were a Christian. So the assurance is given to us by the Holy Spirit. And then he talks about one other passage in 1 John 3.18. He says, my little children, let us not love in word or in t- tongue or in deed. And by this we shall know that we are of the truth. So how do you know you're a Christian? By walking in action and truth and deeds, right? So when you live in that, your heart doesn't condemn you, that God doesn't condemn you. And remember, we're under no condemnation anymore from God if we're truly saved, right? But when we walk out of the sound of his voice and we don't live like we're supposed to, sometimes we can lose that assurance and feel like, well, I don't know if I'm really saved. I don't know if I'm really going to heaven. And sometimes that's a good thing for some people. Some people think they're saved and they're just not. They've never been saved. I was talking to a guy the other day, some people the other day that are locked up over at Coastal Harbor Treatment Center. And these two people, they just, they're continuing to live this old life of drugs and alcohol and getting locked up in the jail and stuff. And yet they think they're going to heaven. And nothing's ever changed. And I asked this other guy that I know from the jail, I said, when you were locked up over there about a year ago, I said, were you really saved? And he said, no. He said, I'm 68 years old now, but but if you'd asked me a year ago, was I saved? I would have told you, 
yeah, I was going to heaven, but I was going to get there by the skin of my teeth, that I was walking the fence. You know, some people say, I'm going to make it by the skin of my teeth. Let's finish one more verse, and then we'll close up today. We'll talk more about this next time. He says, in verse 17, if children and heirs and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. And we're just going to talk about that for a second because next week we're going to talk about the, the suffering and the groaning and all that that really proves that we're children of Christ because when he says, if indeed we suffer with him, that's another one of those first class conditional ifs that really there's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of those in this passage that say if, if, if. But what it really means is since, since we suffer with him. Because First Timothy talks about that, that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer. He said, Jesus said in, Matt, in John 14, he said, you know, he said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, right? Believers share the heirship with Christ, that we're co-heirs with him. And that what it says, if we're children and heirs and joint heirs with Christ, for those that know Christ, everything that's in heaven, it all belongs to him, but it all is going to belong to us too. And we're down here fighting for it and you fussing about it. And we've talked about this before, but, you know, people talk about the streets going to be gold. But you know what? The Bible says that everything's made of gold and pearls and costly stones. Everything in heaven's made of gold and, and stones and like pearls. And even the gates are made of all these beautiful stones and, and pearls and all these things, amethyst. But also believers are going to share sufferings with Christ. You know, if Christ suffered, he says, if I've suffered... You're definitely going to suffer with me. But that's, that's the bad news. But the good news is this is as bad as it will ever get, right? But it also says, if we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified together. In other words, that the suffering of this world is what Romans 8.18 says is not worthy to be compared with the glory that we're going to have in heaven. That we suffer, but that suffering is something that makes us more like Christ. As we look at James and he says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And we'll talk more about that next week. But he says, knowing that the testing of your faith does what? Produces patience, right? And let patience have its perfect work that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. The Bible says that we are co-heirs of the kingdom of eternal life, God's promises, you know, God has all these promises for us. God's protection for his promises. That he keeps us. First Peter 1 Peter 1.4 says we are been saved to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled. And it does not fade away reserved in heaven for you. And so suffering is the norm for believers in the world. And we're going to be glorified with him. To sum up this section, the father adopts us. The Spirit comes in and indwells us, and then the Son one day is going to crown us because we're going to be His heirs and co-heirs. And so some lessons 
if we're adopted, in other words, we're children of God, we've been saved, we've asked God to forgive us and save us, we should honor the one who adopted us, right? What do we say that our parents maybe used to say, now you're a McKenzie or whatever your last name is, now you act like one, right? <laughs> so that's what God says, now you're a Christian now, you act like one. You don't dishonor me, you act like you're supposed to. Number two, if we're adopted, we should love the other family members, those that are also Christians. And number three, if we're adopted, we should be a responsible family member. In other words, we should be serving God in some way or another by loving other people and speaking to other people about what Christ did for us and sacrificially doing stuff for God because God didn't save us to sit and soak but he saved us to to live for him right and to do his will otherwise when we got saved you know what he would have done he would have zapped us and took us up to heaven <laughs> but he left us here for a reason right well let's pray and we'll sing one last song and we'll be through today father we just thank you again for your grace and your mercy and love we thank you that you've adopted us you've saved us that you've uh, lived inside of us through the holy spirit and that one day that, that we're going to be glorified with you. That you're going to get all the glory, but you're also going to glorify us. And that's going to be an amazing thing that we'll be with you in heaven. Father, just speak to our hearts today. If there's one here today that's not sure if they die today, that they'd go to heaven. Help them to realize that Jesus, as the old song says, paid it all on the cross. His death, his burial, and his resurrection, that he was raise that we might walk in newness of life and so father just pray that they would be able to cry out today and say lord jesus i'm a sinner save me so father we just thank you for this time and the rest of us that know that you are our savior and we are children of god that we would live for you and not dishonor you and we would love like you said as i read this morning in romans it says love is the fulfillment of the law to owe nobody else but love is the fulfillment of the law so father we thank you for that in jesus name amen Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Please help us reach out to those the world has forgotten. Everyone we minister to is locked up in some way, shape, or form. Those in the nursing home facilities are locked up in bodies that do not work in a wheelchair or in a bed. We minister to children and youth who are locked up because of behavioral problems. Some have told us we want to have a real family because their parents have lost or given up custody of them. Other kids are locked up because they've committed crimes. We also minister to those locked up at the jails and the prisons, to those locked up in addictions, to drugs, alcohol, depression, and suicidal thoughts, to those locked up in a variety of other things that keep them from becoming who Jesus wants them to be. He came to give us abundant life, joy, and set us free, and these people that we minister to are not free. Our desire is to show them whatever their background, no matter what they've done, to see how much God loves them. We seek to help them receive forgiveness and freedom from their sin in Jesus Christ. We minister in the local area of Savannah, Georgia, and surrounding Effingham and Chatham area. We have recently expanded our ministry to 
to the Lexington, Columbia, South Carolina area. We do over 2,000 services every year. We hope and pray that you will support us in some way that so we can continue our mission. Go to hisloveministries.net and click on the Donate Now button or send it via regular mail to Post Office Box 1881, Lexington, South Carolina, 29071. We hope and pray that you will do that. Thank you and God bless you. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. John 832.